G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We are going to get into what is such an important topic, women and their addictions. We're turning our attention to the challenges more specifically that women face when dealing with addictions. And on the face of it, we might ask if the challenges that women face are any different to men. After all, the biology between men and women is different. Women who use drugs can have issues related to hormones, menstrual cycles, fertility, pregnancy, breastfeeding and menopause. And then there are culturally defined roles that create differences between men and women. Our special focus today is going to be on women with Teen Challenge in Australia and a special year for Teen Challenge celebrating 50 years, helping people overcome addiction and other life-controlling problems. They run one, uh, one of what is the most successful programs anywhere, helping people get free from drug addictions. The ministry itself traces its roots to the organisation founded on the streets of New York City in the United States back in the 1950s by Pastor David Wilkerson. The movie about him called The Cross and the Switchblade exploded onto the silver screen in the 1970s and today there are over 1,400 teen challenge organisations around the globe. Our special guest today is Joanne Hobbs. Joanne is Executive Director of Teen Challenge in the state of Queensland with successful programs for young men and women focused on restoring hope and rebuilding lives. Joanne Hobbs, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks so much, Neil. Great to be back. Well, Joanne, let's start with the obvious, uh, women and addictions. And uh, we decided today we'd talk about just women. Some people would say, aren't you just going to be talking about addictions in general? But why would we be focusing today on just women? Well, I think, Neil, um, you know, there is uh, such significant stigma around uh, women with addiction and they are totally unrepresented in treatment. So if uh, we were to look at some stats, there's one in three people using drugs that are women, but there's only one in five that are in treatment. So they are, you know, it's very disproportionate of the need that is there and there is such a lot of stigma around that. And before we move on from this, isn't it the case that it's not that long ago that women weren't even counted in statistics? Mainly the studies were about men because men were the ones who seemed to have uh, the addiction problems. And then, of course, uh, addictions crept in there. And so now these days women obviously are a part of all the research. But there was a time not that long ago when women weren't even counted. Yeah, going back, well, quite a while, I guess now, uh, women weren't counted in in that research. But I I think that was because they were a lot lower in numbers back then as well. But, you know, we're seeing now it's one in three. And, you know, that's a significant increase. 
And so when we talk about women and addiction, uh, one of the things we mentioned that it's sometimes there's a stigma attached uh, to a woman who has a drug problem actually seeking help. How does that look? Well, look, there is um, significant stigma for women. Um, you know, there's social stigma. Uh, it's, you know, what people are going to think of me. Uh, it's that, you know, discrimination as well. There's a lot of trauma around women as well in terms of um, seeking uh, help. And, you know, a lot of it is as well. They actually just don't know how to reach out for it, who to reach out to. And then there's just a lot of fear that sits behind that. And that fear is what really keeps them captive. Let's cut to the heart of one of the biggest issues here. And that is that women, typically the primary carers of their children, will oftentimes not seek any help for their addiction because of the fear that their children could be taken away from them by whatever protective services uh, in their state. This is one of the biggest issues. You're spot on there, Neil. It's exactly one of the hugest issues that uh, we see facing women. We have a women's centre um, that we cater for women with um, drug and alcohol addictions And that is definitely the number one um, fear factor for women is when they have children, you know, of course, as a mother, you, you know, you're dealing with this addiction, but then you have this, you know, tremendous underlying fear of what's going to happen to my children if I go into treatment, who's going to look after them, will they have to go into care and does that mean I'll never get them back again? And that's got to be one of the overriding issues for women seeking help because uh, that fear of what happens to my kids, uh, what happens financially because I can't just put them into some sort of paid care. Are they going to be taken off me? As you say, uh, will they ever be given back to me if this stigma that is attached to my drug addiction uh, leads authorities to say that I'm not a fit parent? So. So you've got women in this case scenario who'll say, I won't even seek help. How serious is that? Oh, it's it's tremendously serious. You know, when you're looking at one in three who are women that are suffering with addiction and we're seeing that, you know, there's one in five that are in treatment, you do the math and we can see the significant disproportionate um, gap there is there, you know, in, in terms of the need that is there. And, you know, for me, I'm just passionate about how we can assist these women, how we can offer them the help that they need so that they will reach out for that. Because, you know, when we look at that whole um, problem here of the stigma, it's the mother is stopped from getting help because of the fear of losing their children. But then it's this cycle of addiction where they're in a home that is, you know, often unsafe and a home that, um, you know, is obviously um, there's a lot of trauma within that home as well. So, you know, for us, we're passionate about offering help to these women so that we can break the cycle of addiction so the family can be healed and actually live a life that they were, were meant to live, the life that God meant them to live. No doubt it's always more than just one factor that leads anybody into drug abuse and uh, then uh, eventually addiction. Is there a typical scenario around women that lead them into uh, taking drugs, becoming addicted and then needing help? Look, there's a lot of... um 
uh, a lot of different reasons, Neil, for this. But, you know, I'll I'll just highlight what I think are probably some of the top reasons. And, um, you know, women uh, that suffer a divorce, that suffer the death of a a partner or a child, uh, you know, these women are very vulnerable. And, you know, one of the very, very big issues is domestic violence. And, you know, when you look at, and and also childhood trauma. So you look at those issues, they're huge issues that, um, you know, to overcome for them to even reach out for help. One of the things I picked up in a little bit of research before our conversation today is the fact that men often tend to abuse drugs because of peer pressure issues whereas women are not so uh, open to the peer pressure, but they are into more a self-medication. The fact of women who are choosing to try and escape some of the challenges they're facing in their life by self-medicating, trying to feel good about themselves, how does that work, do you think, with women? That's a huge problem. That was going to be one of the points that I was going to raise with you. So thank you for raising that, Neil. You know, uh, self-medication is a huge problem amongst women. And when we look at, um, you know, it's, it's not just drugs we're talking about, but the abuse of alcohol as well. So it's anything that uh, will numb the pain. So when a woman finds themselves in a situation where they're in domestic violence, this cycle of abuse, you know, it's what can they do to escape that? When uh, a woman is, uh, you know, in a a marriage and then a divorce happens suddenly, you know, that sends them spiralling out of control. And so they turn to substances. And it's often not even illicit substances that we're talking about, but prescription drugs. And the likelihood that even when a woman, and we're talking more particularly about a woman, when a woman does actually get on top of her addiction, she is more likely to fall back into that addiction when something uh, causes uh, the situations to arise, the same sorts of hurts and pains to come back. There's a, a likelihood that women are often going to fall back into their addiction. Well, I'd like to address that by saying this, that yes, that is that can be the case. Uh, for Teen Challenge, what we are passionate about is is that, you know, this is not just about a, um, a rehabilitation program, but this is about dealing with those underlying issues because it's the same for anyone, whether it be a man or a woman. If those underlying adi- um, issues are not dealt with in a person's life, those triggers are still there and they will fall back into those ways. And so for us, we are very passionate about helping them to identify those issues, to walk through those issues and to receive that healing, which is, you know, why a Christian organisation like Teen Challenge is so important in this space because there's so many traumas and deep, deep hurts in people's lives that really only God can touch. Well, Joanne, listeners to this program always know that there is a dimension that we love to talk about with all of these types of scenarios and the sorts of treatment programs that are going on. But especially when it comes to recovery from drug addiction, the spiritual dimension in there is one of the things that makes your program so, so successful. And of course, you've got this 1400 centres around the world And the sorts of figures we understand that 70% of people who go through a program that you're setting, uh, this is happening around the world, are coming out 
with a victorious sense of overcoming their addiction. And so the spiritual dimension in all of these rehabilitation programs that you've got running, how important is that? Because some people might be thinking, oh, that's just a little tack on extra. Don't they all do the same sorts of things? You're telling us that something very different happens in your programs. Well, Neil, I like to say it this way, that, um, you know, we do have very um, experienced, qualified staff that know how to uh, lead a person through rehab. We know best practice, but I like to put it this way. It is God plus best practice that equals success, and that is really the bottom line of it. God plus best practice. And for anyone who ever saw the movie The Cross and the Switchblade, you cannot ignore the spiritual dimension that really I think that has sort of undergirded, hasn't it, the way that the rehab programs in Teen Challenge have worked. Uh, No doubt you talk a lot about David Wilkerson and those wonderful foundations that were laid for your organisation. Absolutely. You know, I I think it's always so important to look at where you've come from. You know, our roots are so important to us and, you know, uh, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. And this was founded, you know, uh, a Christian organisation that, you know, I'm very passionate that that's our focus and we do keep the main thing the main thing. And when you have centres, they're not mixed centres. You have centres for men have centres for women. Uh, There's some particularly successful centres that you've got happening in the Toowoomba region in Queensland, just to the west of Brisbane. Um, What sort of centres? Can you give us a little description as to how they look? Yes, yeah, so we have um, we have a men's and a women's program, but they are run separately. They're in um, separate facilities, uh, and you know which uh, we have found works really well because a lot of our women, um, probably I would say ninety eight percent of women that come into our services have um, experienced some sort of sexual abuse and very um, untrusting of men, and so they've really needed somewhere where they could come to feel safe. And it's the reason why I decided that we would keep our men's and women's um, centres separate and we find that that works really well. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're talking women and addictions. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might have your own insight today, your own story to tell. You might like to reflect on the difference that it makes when you have a faith element in your recovery. What happens when God is in the middle of your recovery? Well, our special guest this hour is Joanne Hobbs. Joanne is Executive Director of Teen Challenge in the state of Queensland. Our focus is on women and their addictions. Joanne, before we go any further, COVID, uh, has that exacerbated any addiction issues uh, for men or women that you're aware of? Well, you know, I think, Neil, by what we're hearing, that definitely is the case. We don't have any hard statistics on that yet, but I dare say within the next 12 months we'll we'll definitely have some more stats on that. Um, I, I don't think it could not have, um, you know, been an issue uh, or an accelerated issue through that time given the fact that many have suffered through um, mental illness, depression and a whole range of things. So we may even see more of that self-medication that we were talking about, you know, um, I think that's going to there's going to be a rise there. 
And no doubt, depending on which part of Australia you live in, as to whether you can identify whether that's the case in your community, and no doubt churches will be uh, exposed to some of those sorts of issues too as people are involved in this self-medicating. The things that you mention so far as COVID goes, where people have lost a job or their their wages have been cut or their children have been home and there's all sorts of family problems, but domestic violence, this is one of those areas identified that has been on the upswing with COVID where families have all been trapped together under the one roof and for all sorts of reasons that you know is a little bit like uh, you know sparks uh, into a a dry uh, bushfire ready to happen. Domestic violence though, uh, women and domestic violence you've got to be able to address drug addiction along with a whole lot of other issues haven't you? Absolutely Um, you know domestic violence is um I think, another epidemic that we have in our society. And, um, you know, often uh, domestic violence is not um, actually even seen in a person's life until they've been in it for a very long time because that cycle of abuse keeps them silent. And there's all sorts of uh, abuse. We're not just talking about physical abuse, but there's verbal, psychological abuse, you know, that emotional abuse sexual abuse, there's a whole range of things that happen within that cycle of abuse. And unfortunately, many women are silent about it until it gets to a critical point. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Alison is in Brisbane. Hello, Alison. Welcome. Hi, Neil. How are you going? Very well, Alison. What are your thoughts for our conversation today? Um, I think it's great that we're talking about women in addiction. I know I've got, I have personal experience of the disease of addiction in my life, um, alcohol, drugs, sex, processed food, um, and I have needed to seek an addictionist, a, a specialist to treat my addiction. I, it, it invaded all facets of my life, and through that, and I, I work a 12-step program, I've had to come into, I've had to give myself to a God of my own understanding, a God, for me, Jesus, but God um, is the only one who can do it for me because I'm completely powerless over my addiction and where it's taken me. Alison, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Joanne, what are your thoughts for Alison? Well, Alison, I think you're very brave to um, have really stepped forward to, first of all, to identify the addiction and then to step forward and reach out for help. Was that really a difficult step for you? It was incredibly difficult and I had a lot of, resistance, a lot of denial. Denial was just so thick in my life and anger, a lot of anger and, you know, I did not want to go to God. It was the last thing I wanted to do and I've been forced into a corner where I've had to go to God to help to be free of this. Well, you know, God is definitely a great place to turn and so how long ago was that, Alison? Look, I've been... um, in recovery from alcohol for about 20 years but in the end it was the the processed food addiction that brought me down um so i've been in recovery from that for about a year so um yeah okay so where do you feel you are now you know after um you know walking through that journey of recovery okay i'm still receiving treatment and i'm still it's very early days for me um and, you know, I've, I feel like I've just had that, affected that conscious contact with God now. And, 
for me, my disease has been so strong and the power of the devil has just been very strong um, for me in my life. Um, so Alison, I I, I'm on the road to recovery now. Yes, Neil. Let me ask you about, you know, you said that without God, you're powerless uh, and you were even reluctant to open yourself to the idea that God could make a difference in your addiction. So now that you've opened yourself to his input into your addiction, where do you see yourself now? And uh, how how empowering is it to know the presence of God when you've got a challenge like you've been facing? Um, it's, it's vital for me. Um, I cannot live without God in my life. Um, because for me, I, my self-will, I just wanted to run the show. And for me, running the show led me to my addictions and it's just in pretty dark places and to uh, contemplating suicide. So um, for me, I have to rely on God. I, I must to, and it's just for today, just to have a daily reprieve from this disease. Um, so it's, I cannot do this without God. It's just as simple as that. And it, it took me a long, long time to get to that point because I was defiant. Alison, thank you so much for calling in and sharing your heart uh, with regard to your own story. Uh, really appreciate you calling in. Thank you so much, Alison. And uh, Joanne, God in the program some people are going to be thinking, oh, well, I'll just go with, you know, the secular government-funded program. They won't have any God in there. I'm not a religious person. But I know I've got a problem. God actually is the key ingredient, is he not, in overcoming addiction? Because on the other side of getting free from the drugs, isn't there a purpose beyond that you need to be able to stay free? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when we see um, men and women come into our centres, that I think one of the things that I observe is that there is, you know, often that hopelessness in their eyes. They don't actually have any thought about what the future is. And, uh, you know, and, and you can understand that because there's such a void in their life. But, you know, when they come in and they, are, you know, there are a lot of people that come into our program that are not Christians. It's not, you know, just for Christian people. Uh, they come into the program. They're not Bible bashed in that program, but they're, they're exposed, obviously, through the program and hearing others talk and pray and care for them, you know, and when they actually come to that point of saying, you know, I need help and God, you are the one that I need. You know, we see an acceleration in their recovery. Uh, that's not something that's mandated, but it is something that happens naturally within our centres. And I guess that's anecdotal. You can't really sort of put a, uh, you know, a statistical uh, process through there. But what you notice as the executive director is that when people are actually on a road to recovery, once they discover personal relationship with God, bringing him into their addiction, that actually accelerates their opportunity of becoming well again. Well, it does because, you know, I think we look at, the, at it this way, you know, there you either look at it as in, um, you know, behavioural modification, so modifying your behaviour, but that only lasts to a point when the pressure comes back on. But we say, you know, with God, it's actually it's life transformation. So it's healing from within, 
transforming the way that you think and respond and to to situations. Let's take another call. David is in Logan in Queensland. Hi, David. Welcome. Hi, now. Good to hear from you, David. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, look, drug addiction is in, in our in, in the midst of our community, and um, I think it's it's important not to judge these people. You know that just say you know it's their fault because you know it may or it may not be. It doesn't matter. It's about bringing these people back into the big picture, and and then it then it becomes. <laughs> Um, an issue like um, the story in the Bible of the, the sower and the seed and the birds of the air that some people are willing to listen for a little while but then they the, the, the devil comes and plucks the word out of their heart you know so it's important to have a have a heart that like that's prepared like good soil so that so that the seed bears there's a lot of fruit and you, you have to water that seed constantly. You have to give it a plan and a purpose. You know, there's there's more to it than just rehabilitation. You know, there's it's about getting your life back, you know. Wonderful stuff, David. Joanne, your thoughts for David? Yeah, absolutely, David. It's, um, you know, there's a whole lot of elements that are involved in this and, you know, um, rehabilitation is just one part of that um, puzzle. But then it's it's about, you know, being able to walk out the purpose of your life. And I think for Teen Challenge, that's why when uh, people finish our program, we're not finished with them. You know, we follow up and we actually continue to walk that journey with them because it is really, you know, once they finish the program, we want to see them doing life well. And so we are passionate about that. So I agree with you, David. You know, uh, rehabilitation is just one part of that. Wonderful to hear from you, David, in Logan. Thank you so much for your call. We'll take some more calls after Vision National News. You might like to participate, 1-800-316-316. Just quickly, though, David makes that reference, doesn't he, to the seed and the sower. And uh, sometimes it falls on the hard ground or on the stony ground or on the thorny ground, but sometimes into good soil. That's one of uh, the very powerful uh, stories that Jesus told just because people go to a Christian facility doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to be the good soil there so you've got to be able to help people uh, receive this good soil that can transform lives and no doubt there are some challenges always when it comes to that Joanne well, there is, but I think the great thing is is that, you know, we're not meant to be the Holy Spirit. We're just meant to be those that, um, you know, plant the seed, water the seed, and there'll be others that harvest that. But, you know, everyone has a free will, and it's Jesus' plan that everyone would come to Christ, but not all do. Joanne, before we take any more calls, uh, the shame that some women are feeling because of their addiction, uh, this is something that's, you know, you pay particular attention to in your women's centre because it's not easy and perhaps harder for women than it is for men uh, to face some of the feelings that they do around the fact that they've got an addiction. Yeah, we, we do um, see that a lot in our young women in the centres. There's that feeling of shame and guilt and depending on, um, I guess, their circumstance as well. So those that um, have children, many of them have come into our centre that have actually had their children taken into care 
Um, and so there is so much, you know, shame and guilt around that. But, you know, we've been very successful, Neil, in our centre in uh, assisting women, helping them navigate through and being able to be reunited with their children, those that have been taken into care. So, you know, from us, there's no judgment in this area because, um, you know, we understand that, hey, everyone's, there are there are things in all of our lives that we have to deal with and we are passionate about helping these women because, you know, many of them have no family support. Many of them have either burnt their bridges or through an abusive relationship they've been isolated and so they have no other support around them and, you know, they need they need a loving hand to reach out to them and Teen Challenge is one of those loving hands that are really willing to reach out. I love the expression loving hands ready to reach out because that flies in the face of what for some is a prevailing impression that somehow or other that people who are in a Christian organisation like Teen Challenge may somehow be judgmental when there are issues around addictions and uh, you have to no doubt uh, fight against that from time to time too but the loving hand that reaches out and is helpful in these circumstances uh, how does that uh, overcome some of that sort of impression that some people have that somehow Christians are very judgmental? Uh, look, I, I guess I could answer that best by um, just quoting some of our young women that have been through our program and um, they've, you know, come in very closed off, um, you know, really, I guess, expecting that there was going to be a lot of um, judgment, expectation um, on them. And uh, many of them have said, you know, I can't, I guess countless numbers of times have said, you know, what I could not believe is that when I walked into that centre, the love that I felt and the acceptance that I felt, you know, and that's what we're about. We're about, you know, accepting, loving and loving people to wholeness is something that I like to say because, you know, that's what's lacking so much in the lives of a lot of these women is that they really have not been nurtured and loved. And when you say people coming from sexual abuse backgrounds, the domestic violence that they've come from, and often that's the trigger for the self-medication and becoming addicted to drugs in the first place, they're discovering something completely opposite to the environment that they're used to. Let's come back to women and something of the biology, women's bodies responding differently to the substances. How do women's bodies tend to respond differently to uh, to the drug substances they're putting into their bodies. And look, a lot of that comes down to, you know, the way God created us in terms of our hormonal differences from men and women and um, the lower threshold that women have um, to drugs and alcohol. So, you know, women are more susceptible and often get addicted much quicker than men as well because they don't have as high a tolerance to it. And so there are differences, you know, in our, in our biological bodies and they do play out in, you know, exactly what we're talking about here. Is it true, Joanne, that more women are likely to die from an overdose than men? Yes. Uh, look, you know, I don't have those stats in front of me, Neil, to be able to answer that, you know, um, I guess uh, categorically that, um, but, you know, that definitely is the impression that I've had that that is the case. Um, 
But, you know, there is a huge overdose problem with men as well. So, you know, we're, we're dealing, any overdose is an absolute tragedy. And I think that, you know, women can, the overdose with women can definitely happen a lot through um, prescription drugs as well, not realising how many they're taking. A lot of it is not even intentional, but accidental. And women tend to be more prone to panic attacks, anxiety and depression and uh, perhaps that in itself a a trigger point uh, for trying to self-medicate. Absolutely. You know, um, depression is a huge thing. I think um, isolation, a lot of these women who have been traumatised and some of them right from when they're children or traumatised in a relationship, those that have been in, you know, domestic violence, um, you know, we're talking about women that are having to overcome huge problems in their lives. Uh, You know, this is... um, something unless you've had to walk in the shoes of these women that you couldn't understand. And that's why I say to these women, you know, um, we we love you and we care about you because, you know, what you have experienced is is something that no woman should have experienced. And uh, these, these women are struggling. They're struggling with their identity, self-worth. 1-800-316-316. To join in our conversation today, you might have your own story to tell. You might have your own insight to offer. You might have a question. You might even have a critique for our conversation. Let me invite you to join in. 1-800-316-316 to be part of a conversation about women and addictions today. Joanne, one of the big issues is that women who are pregnant uh, and are abusing drugs, uh, there's some significant things and there are statistics around this sort of uh, effect here, but but for women and pregnancy, uh, drug abuse, drug addiction has all sorts of extra dimensions, doesn't it? Well, it does because we're talking about, you know, another life that they're carrying. And uh, there is a global statistic that says that every 25 minutes a baby is born suffering from opioid withdrawal. So, you know, that's um, when you, you think of that every 25 minutes, it's um, it's quite a, a problem globally. It is significant and uh, uh, marijuana, uh, tobacco, uh, alcohol, I mean, there's all sorts of different uh, drugs here. Uh, If you're being general right across the board, are women more susceptible in all of those different drugs uh, to uh, being addicted? And, of course, then there's these ongoing, on-flowing effects. Well, I think it gets back to what we were just talking about, Neil, that uh, women have a lower threshold just because of the way that women are are designed, uh, you know, are created. They have a lower threshold, uh, which then would obviously, um, you know, say that they do have, uh, I guess, a quicker addiction to these different illicit drugs and alcohol. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. You might like to join in our conversation today. You might have your own insight about drug addiction and particularly around women. I mentioned earlier, Joanne, that men are prone to peer pressure and women more inclined to self-medicate. Let's not leave men out of the issue here if we're talking about addiction and how you might prevent 
moving into those issues because when you talk about recovery from addiction, you're talking about a transformed life on the other side. There must be a prevention measure at the beginning that you could also encourage us with. Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things that um, I love uh, about Teen Challenges is that, you know, we our core business, of course, is residential rehab, but we also have an incredible heart for prevention. And one of the things that, um, you know, we have started in other states and are starting to come into Queensland now is the Not Even Once program, which is a an educational program that goes into schools and it's been received extremely well and had some great results. And so education around this, conversations, teaching parents actually how to talk to their kids about you know, drug and alcohol misuse, um, you know, teaching them what to do in that space. Education is really important in this area. Do you have people who are available for education programs to speak to small groups and to schools and to anyone who will listen, perhaps even workplaces that might be open because the prevention is better than the cure? And if you can stop this thing before it gets out of hand so far as addiction goes, if people understood this, no doubt uh, they would take a lot more attention to looking after themselves. Are there people that you've got on your team who can do those sorts of presentations? Well, uh, nationally, we've actually joined together for the Not Even Once program and the executive director from uh, Tasmania, uh, she actually runs that and she runs that throughout all of the different states. And so uh, this is a great initiative and something that we are really trying very hard to get into the schools up here in Queensland to present these programs because, you know, it's a very well-balanced program and something that it has, you know, all of the up-to-date scientific facts in it. It's always encouraging to know that if you found yourself in addiction and you needed help, that there is somewhere to go. Are there enough rehab centres around Australia? I mean, I'm just putting you on the spot here uh, to be able to cope with the significant uh, challenge that drug addiction brings. Because when you mentioned a little earlier the number of women who are actually suffering addiction and the few that actually seek help. I mean, would there be an inundation of the current rehab centres if more women decided to come forward and get some help? How do things look around Australia? Well, look, I think, you know, this is um, why I'm passionate about talking about this because what we have to do is address the real issue and the real issue is why aren't they coming in? It's not even the fact of not enough rehab centres, but there's very, very little for women who have children. So, you know, I am passionate about, um, you know, in the future of looking at a program that actually caters for women with their children because that is the number one, um, I think, barrier to women because 50% of, at least 50% of these women have children. And so when we're looking at the, um, the fact that these women are not in treatment, I think we've got to look at the root cause of it. And if we don't provide something for these women to help them and encourage them into treatment, it's never going to happen. So how do you upgrade a centre now to be able to cater for children? Because uh, no doubt you've got your existing centres, one for men and one for women in the city of Toowoomba, just west of Brisbane. If uh, as the passion of your heart is there for a centre in the future to accommodate women and their children, what sort of upgrade do you need? Uh, we'd need definitely uh, another centre because you obviously um, the program is run differently and actually 
Um, I've had a lot to do with programs that have been um, running in the United States where, you know, Teen Challenge first started and there's some extremely successful programs over there in Teen Challenge. And so, uh, yeah, what I would do first is looking at their modelling and how we could implement that into um, Queensland. Let me get down to the nitty-gritty here before we take another call. Uh, Funding for a centre that would cater for women and children. Uh, You're a Christian ministry organisation. From what I understand it, there's little or no government funding for what you do. You're reliant on people who are generous Christian believers who see this as a passion for their own mission pursuit to be able to support financially the sorts of things you want to do. How do you approach that idea of getting an upgrade because you're going to have to uh, pass the hat around for supporters, aren't you? Well, look, there's a lot of different ways, uh, Neil, that we can uh, raise funds and obviously we've got some um, wonderful um, supporters of Teen Challenge, donors that have been very faithful to us, um, you know, but we do a lot of other things as well. I'm very passionate about sustainability. So, um, you know, social enterprise is another big um, part of what I uh, for, I'm forging the way in as well, um, looking into, you know, what businesses that we can attach to Teen Challenge to actually raise revenue. Um, you know, this is, um, I guess, something that it's never going to happen just by, I guess, passing the hat round, as you say, but we have to be innovative in this space, um, you know, and, and we're looking to partner with people and businesses, um, you know, to actually achieve that purpose because we want to be self-sustaining in this and we want to be able to provide not just what we have now, but we want to expand our services into, you know, as I said, a, a women's centre that caters for children as well. But that is going to cost money and And we have to look at different ways that we could fund that. And that's something that I'm passionate about. And, you know, working on and talking with different people, talking with donors, talking with businesses. And, you know, I think it's in those conversations, it's a surprising, you know, the ideas that come up. So, hey, if there's any business people out there that have got some great ideas, you know, for social enterprise, I'm all ears. Well, no doubt you've gotten the attention of some listeners today who might want to connect with you. And I'll be giving the Teen Challenge website so that you can be in touch with Joanne at the end of our conversation. Let's take another call, though, our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Reverend Geoffrey Beale is in Ingham in Queensland. Hello, Geoffrey. Welcome. Uh, good day. Good day. Good afternoon. Uh, I specialise in uh, deliverance and miracles, and uh, I uh, opened Jesus Centre's in the main street of Townsville, when Townsville is called Sutton of the North, and brought crime to halt in Townsville and in Mount Isa as well, um, through drop-in centres and through uh, prayer service, prayer power. And um, I have my phone number now available for anybody with any kind of problem. I myself was killed at the age of 22 in a car crash. And I asked the Lord to raise me from the dead, and he did. Three weeks I stayed dead, and then rose from the dead. And ever since, for 51 years, I've been working 
Jeffrey, when you are praying for people, and as you say, uh, you know, specialising in deliverance and those sorts of things, uh, what's the success rate for when you're praying for people? Oh, 100%. uh, See, it's it's the power of Jesus Christ himself uh, to receive Jesus into our heart and become a part of the winning side and not the sinning side or the silly Jeffrey, side. Jeffrey, have you prayed for people side. who've had drug addictions and uh, what's the response been yeah. there? Yes, um, we had the Townsville uh, Hospital and the police in Townsville um, sending all kinds of incurable people and drug-addicted people down to Rebirth Jesus Centre and we had them all 100% Jeffrey, good to hear your story and uh, really appreciate your input today. Uh, Let me come back to Joanne and the sorts of things that Jeffrey is sharing here, praying for people and seeing them set free from addiction. Uh, No doubt there's a holistic dimension and prayer is going to be an important part of that. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts on what it is, the power of prayer in the way that people can be helped uh, along their journey of getting set free. Well, uh, I think, Neil, we look at that is, you know, the power of prayer is there for whether it be addiction or whether it be any other um, issue or problem that we're facing in our life. Of course, we believe that there is such power in prayer and that is a a big part. You know, our our staff meet every morning before um, work and they actually pray together, pray for our um, young people in the centres. You know, prayer is a big part of what we do. I want to thank Jeffrey for his input. Uh, thank you, Jeffrey from Ingham. Appreciate you calling in. 1-800-316-316. Although, uh, as I look at the clock, time is running down. And uh, just to come back to your 50-year celebration this year, Joanne, it's been a busy year for you, but it's nice to be busy, isn't it, uh, doing celebration things rather than just solving crises. Uh, what have you had happen over your uh, the year so far, the 50th year, uh, give us an insight into the celebration this year. Yeah, so this has been a really exciting year for, for us because we, we were celebrating 50 years of us being in Queensland delivering services and help to Queenslanders. Well, not just Queenslanders, but uh, you know we have many that come from interstate as well. Um, and also 20 years of our rehabilitation centres in Toowoomba. So, uh, you know, we've had double celebrations this year. Our gala dinner in June, we, you know, that was a big focus of our gala dinner. And then just uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've celebrated in Toowoomba the 20 years with um, supporters and you know, those that have been through the program, which was a fantastic um, day. And also in Brisbane, uh, just the weekend before last, we were celebrating with Charles and Rita Ringma, who were actually the early visionaries and founders of Teen Challenge Queensland and that and many workers that were there with them right back in 1971 when they first established it. So that was, it's been an, uh, an outstanding time for us. We believe in honouring those that have come before us because I truly believe that we stand on the shoulders of giants that have actually forged the way. And that name, Charles Ringma, well, Charles will be our guest in a week or two from...
from now and we'll uh, pick up on a topic around this sort of thing. So look forward to something with Charles, who was the founder. That's 50 years ago. And these days, uh, Charles, I think, is around 80 odds. And uh, But I'm looking forward to a fabulous conversation with one of those legends uh, on the landscape in Christian circles in Australia. And so look forward to that in a couple of weeks' time. For people to connect with you today, Joanne, the Teen Challenge website, teenchallengequld.org.au, there'll be a, 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 a link there where people can actually be in touch with you personally. You mentioned that there are some dreams and some possibilities for a centre with women and their children to break what we've discovered in this past hour has been one of the biggest challenges for women who are facing addiction. What happens to my kids? For people who are interested in talking to you about that, uh, easy to make connection with you? Absolutely. If you just go to our website, there's an email address on there that will definitely get to us. All right. So teenchallengequld.org.au. And Joanne Hobbs, Executive Director of Teen Challenge in Queensland. Joanne, thank you so much for coming in, sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks so much, Neil. It's been brilliant. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.